Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. Before we get into today's interview with photographer Pete Souza, I just wanted to let you guys know about a new thing I started to help uh, support and grow the podcast. I started a Patreon page uh, where you can go and support the podcast. I'm going to have different features where you can get the podcast episodes two days early, as well as another tier where if you want to get a free advertisement for your business or your social media on the podcast, you can join. Um, So if you've been enjoying the podcast the last three years and feel like supporting, it'd be much appreciated. I'm hoping to kind of keep this thing going and keep it growing and hopefully get more guests and more more content for you guys to learn and just feel inspired by. So if you feel like uh, checking out the Patreon page, you can go to patreon.com slash the photo banter. You can go there, support and check out the different features I'm going to be offering. Again, that's patreon.com slash the photo banter. I'm going to put the link in the description on my social media. But yeah, this thanks so much for all the support over the last three years. I've been loving doing this podcast and just kind of hoping to keep keep it growing and keep it going and uh, just get, get more guests and whatnot, you know. So really appreciate the support and uh, thanks so much. Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne. And on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Pete Souza. Pete Souza was the chief official White House photographer for President Barack Obama and the director of the White House Photo Office. Pete's book titled Obama, An Intimate Portrait, which documented the entire eight years of Barack Obama's presidency, was published in 2017 and debuted number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Pete previously worked as a national photographer for the Chicago Tribune newspaper based in their Washington Bureau, and also worked as an official White House photographer for President Ronald Reagan. Pete Souza is someone who has accomplished a lot over the course of his photographic career, and someone who I have an immense amount of respect for, so I was really excited to get a chance to speak with him, so I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. All right, well... Uh, Pete Souza, I just want to welcome you to the podcast. Really excited to talk to you. Um, I guess to start start off, I was kind of curious, kind of where you grew up and how you kind of discovered photography initially. Yeah, I grew up in uh, South Dartmouth, Mass, um, just about sixty miles from Boston, and um, uh, uh, just jumping right to college, I went to BU, Boston University, for those of you outside of Massachusetts. Um, let me turn my mail off here because no it's pinging. Um, uh, so I went, to, I went to Boston University with the hopes of becoming a sports writer, actually. Okay. And then in my uh, uh, junior year, I took a photography class and that was it. I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, you know, the whole magic of photography and being in a dark room and kind of controlling the process from start to finish. Um, but so right away, I knew that's what I wanted to do. It took me a while to, <laughs> to get to the point where I was any good, but um, I, I, I knew right away that um, you know, for the first time, really something had, had, uh, uh, struck me as, as, uh, like a, a lifelong passion. 
Yeah, and I uh, actually talked to one of our mutual friends last night before this, Brad Mangin, and he actually told me an interesting story about uh, you, from your dorm room at BU, you heard the famous Carlton Fisk home run, he told me. Uh, when you're yeah, that's a true story. Brad's a good friend of mine, and you know, because we both have a love of baseball. And uh, it wasn't my dorm room, it was an apartment uh, on, uh, I think it was Park Drive. So I was several blocks from Fenway, maybe like a, even a half a mile. Um, between a half a mile and a mile, I can't remember exactly, yeah. in this particular apartment. And it was, it was a, you know, it was a nice October night. I had the window in my apartment open and was watching uh, the game on a little black and white TV in my apartment with the window open. And when Fisk hit that home run, of course, I'm, you know, jumping up and down in, in my apartment. I was watching it by myself. <laughs> uh, and, and it took like maybe you know, eight seconds for the sound to carry. <laughs> so I was like jumping up and down and all of a sudden you hear this huge, you know, roar coming from Fenway Park. So it was, it was sort of one of those moments that you, uh, you never forget, if, especially if you're a Red Sox fan. And that was such a classic World Series game. Yeah, it's amazing. And when you kind of first picked up the camera, like what kind of stuff were you photographing? Was it was it photojournalism and this kind of documenting, telling stories kind of from the get-go for you? Or what do you kind of remember about kind of some of the early stuff uh, when you kind of got into photography, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think starting out, I was doing whatever assignments we were handed. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest hurdles for me was that I was kind of a shy person. <laughs> And, um, you know, and being in the journalism school, it was, it was challenging for me to um, uh, photograph people and, and, and get close to them. And I was still sort of working out how to go about doing that. And, um, you know, and I don't know how successful I was. I think one thing that really sort of... Um, took me to a, a, a different level in terms of photojournalism was my senior year, um, which was Ken Cobry, uh, his first year at BU. Um, he got me an internship with the AP, with the Associated Press in Boston. Wow. So suddenly I was like, um, you know, at the Boston Celtics games, I was, um, covering news assignments. I, I got uh, this photograph of Jackie Kennedy, who was visiting somebody in the hospital. I um, went to a Muhammad Ali press conference. Uh, wow. You know, so I was sort of more indoctrinated to news photography that, that semester that I did that internship. And then, you know, quite frankly, I my portfolio was not good. And I interviewed for a couple jobs when I graduated from BU and didn't get them. So I went to work for my uncle's business for a year, which had nothing to do with photography. And, um, and then went to grad school at, at Kansas State University. And the best part about that experience was they had like a great college newspaper that considered themselves like a real news, real daily newspaper. It was called the Chanute so Tribune, right? That's really where I developed, I think, my skills as, as a, a, 
hone my skills as a, as a photojournalist. So it was really in Kansas where I kind of feel that I got started on the right track in terms of uh, um, photojournalism. It's kind of amazing to hear you say you were kind of a shy person and being a photojournalist because myself, like viewing your work, I'm like, wow, this guy must have guts being some of the stuff you've documented, these tense moments, traveling to Afghanistan, all these like intense situations. Um, so you feel like that's just kind of skill you build, you build on as a photojournalist, being able to communicate with people and kind of building that confidence. It kind of gets stronger a year, year after year, the longer you did it, you think? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my, my guess is my high school classmates are like trying to, you know, wrap their head around, um, you know, <laughs> the, the person I am today. Because I, I, I honestly, I was just very, very shy and uh, socially awkward and um, in high school. And I guess, you know, you sort of all, you, you, you know, you grow during your life and you evolve and, um. I mean, I, I could, you know, 25, 30 years ago, I couldn't have done a podcast because I would have been too nervous about, you know, doing an interview or something like that. I think it's just, you know, you, you, you go through, I mean, the one great thing about photojournalism for me is it, it, it's just given me so many great experiences. And I think as a result, you know, I've, I've become more confident in myself and, um, have somehow, you know, learned to to deal with people maybe a little better. Um, yeah, because it's pretty amazing. I actually went and saw you speak um, maybe two two years ago in Boston, two or three years when your your book about Obama first came out, Intimate Portrait. And it, it, I was thinking about it. I was like, wow, this guy spent most of his life kind of like being a fly on the wall, documenting these situations, and now you're in this situation where you're you're public speaking to like hundreds, thousands of people. Uh, for most people, public speaking is like, they say it's like the, it's their worst nightmare. It's like, how, well, it was, it, there was a time where it wasn't my worst nightmare. I mean, I think back to the, even after I had um, worked for newspapers for four or five years and I did, I did some, um, uh, you know, public presentations in terms of like at photo conferences and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And if you were to go back to those, I was terrible. They were terrible just because I didn't know how to connect with an audience and I was still really nervous about it. Again, I think it's just something over time you sort of learn how to do, you learn how to connect. You, mm. I, mean, I, th I feel now that um, uh, I, I, I can put together a, a, a good presentation for whatever audience and, and sort of can, can get a feel for how to make it work and how to connect with the audience. Now I got to admit, it's harder to do on zoom. I mean, yeah. I've done a few zoom uh, talks um, where, you know, there's a hundred people listening or more. And it, th those are hard because you don't get, you don't get that feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you hope that you're, um, that you're still, uh, connecting in a way that people haven't tuned you out. Yeah. Um, so that's been challenging for, for, for zoom, but in person, I sort of feel that I have a good, um, feel to how to, how to, how to make a, a talk or a presentation work. I mean, it also helps when you're showing photographs. 
Yeah, right? that, yeah, you have some, it's, it's something to less talk about, about you, and people are more looking at the photographs on the screen, and um, so that's kind of helpful. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to your presentation, and uh, my I don't know why I thought this. I showed the presentation. I'm like, oh, this is going to be like a, a bunch of people that love photography, like other photographers, and I realized, like, wow. <laughs> No, these photos that you took meant so much more to so many people. It's not just photographers. For you, it must be, has it been interesting to travel the world and kind of show this eight years of documenting one person? Like, has it been interesting getting to connect with people and see how the photos have kind of affected them? Yeah, and it's, you know, because if you're going to come to one of my talks, you're, you're sort of a like-minded individual in some yeah. ways. Um, the, I mean, I haven't had, I think I had one heckler <laughs> really in all the talks that I've done. Um, and, and, um, you know, and, or maybe a few, uh, uh, <laughs> people that were just, you know, curious and not really fans of president Obama, mm -hmm. but for the most part, I'm speaking to like-minded people. And I think it's, it's, um, it's a way to connect with them and on, on an almost emotional basis too. And, um, especially given, you know, the, the current climate in, in, in our country. Yeah. Um, and, and really I'm just kind of reminding people that this is what it was like, you know, during this administration. And this is, this is, this is the way I saw it. And, um, um, and I, th I, you know, I think people appreciate sort of reliving those days, but also sort of learning, uh, some things. I mean, not, you know, we made a lot of pictures public during the administration, but people were not like looking at, you know, the Flickr photo stream or whitehouse.gov every day. So m most people are not familiar with all of the photos. They might be familiar with one or two if they, you know, sort of went viral on social media or something like that. But for the most part, they haven't seen these photographs. So yeah. it's giving them an inside window into, uh, you know, the, the, this particular presidency. Definitely. And I think being able to view it in a book format um, where you've like curated it and edited it, and it's, it's a lot easier to digest than looking at like photos on a, a Flickr account or something like that. It's, it's very, it was just kind of interesting. Even myself, I mean, I'm, I followed your work for years and I, I did look at the Flickr. I was one of the people looking at the Flickr, um, but it was amazing to kind of see it all condensed in one book and edit it together, you know? Well, I mean, the, the, the book for me was, um, what was, uh, something that, you know, as soon as I left the administration, I thought I should, you know, try to try to do. And if I was going to do it, I was going to put the best book together that I could. And, you know, fortunately, I, I partnered with a publisher who um, sort of gave me the, the, the leeway to do the book that I wanted to do and to um, also make sure that the, you know, the quality of the book in terms of the printing and the kind of paper so that the photographs would look really great in, in, a, in a book format. Um, so, you know, I'm really proud of that book. I'm proud of the way the photographs look. It was, um, it was really, 
cool to see them on a, on a you know on a nice paper, right? Because like you say, you know, it's different looking at pictures online where you're just you know clicking through them. But when you see them in a, in a book format, they sort of take on a new life in some ways. Definitely. Um, I guess to go back, like when you kind of like first got out, when you got out of college and you're, you, so you're kind of interning at the AP at, at that point, was it kind of your goal to be a newspaper photographer? Or did you kind of have a goal in mind of like what type of photography you wanted to do at that point? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, when I left BU, I think I applied for two, two newspaper jobs, didn't get them. Uh, I, I went back to South Dartmouth and was trying to, uh, did a couple of like, I guess we call them st stringing assignments, freelance yeah. assignments for the hometown newspaper, the New Bedford Standard Times, um, for which I was once a paper boy. Wow. Delivering newspapers. Uh, but they wouldn't hire me <laughs> as, as full time. So, yeah, I was, I think right away was, was, uh, gravitating towards, uh, you know, newspapers and, um, and, you know, and when I went to Kansas state, it was, you know, great working for the college newspaper. And then I, I worked for when I get, when I left uh, Kansas state, I worked for two, um, fairly small newspapers in, in Kansas. Um, and I, I loved it, you know, sort of, uh, it, it was, and, and it was, it was, I loved it and it was challenging because, you know, especially the second newspaper I worked for was just a small town and I was the only photographer. There was no wire photo machine. So, you know, every day I was responsible for uh, three photographs, page one, the sports page and, and a business uh, section uh, photo. And, you know, when you're in a small town, when not a, not a lot goes on, yeah, it, it was like, you know, that was challenging. Um, and it, it made, it made me learn how to make something out of nothing, you know, take, take what, you know, sounds like a boring assignment and try to make an interesting photograph out of it. And, and you, you know, you some, pro processing, all there, your there's some, you know, there's some days where I, where I missed that. Although I got to say in terms of like, um, pressure jobs, that was a pretty pressure job. Uh, having every day to, you know, to come up with three photographs that you are going to put your name under. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you, were you processing all your own film and everything at that point? Like what was this? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. 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 Cause I, it, yeah. As a matter of fact, there was one time when <clears throat> the, uh, the, 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 the high school football team made it to the state playoffs, which, you know, was like a rarity for them because <laughs> they were such a small school. And the playoff game was, it was, uh, I think it was like 60, 70 miles away. And uh, it was on a Friday night. And of course, we put out a Saturday morning newspaper. And the deadlines were such that, you know, the editor was telling me, well, you're going to have to leave at halftime in order to make the deadline. I go, I can't leave at halftime for a playoff game. <laughs> yeah. We had to find another way to do this. Yeah. So I talked to this friend of mine. Um, into uh, driving his truck with me to the game. Um, and uh, I stayed the whole game. They lost. So I got some pictures in the locker room. Yeah. And got back in his truck and developed the film in the truck. Wow. I had it like all set up. 
so that I was able to d develop the film. And then as soon as I got back to uh, Chanute, to the office, uh, I was able to go right to the darkroom and make a print, you know, of, uh, so we made, <laughs> we made, uh, we made the newspaper with, with a, you know, a reaction photo to the loss of the game, which was the reason that I wanted to stay till the end of the game, win or lose. Yeah. That's where the action happens. Uh, that's amazing. And then I, I, I think you ended up, you spent some time uh, in Chicago. I believe you worked for the Chicago Sun Times and then the Chicago Tribune, uh, how did you kind of end up uh, moving out there? How did that kind of come about for you? Um, yeah, you know, one of the things that happens is it's it's pretty small community, the photojournalism community. I mean, it's probably bigger now, mm -hmm. but this is in the day where there was a lot of word of mouth. And um, I, so I was working for this small paper in Kansas, and one one of my friends was Dave LaBelle, who was a uh, uh, you know, had worked for, I don't know, it seems like dozens of newspapers and was pretty well known. And um, he had gotten a call from the photo director at the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, and he, he said he wasn't interested in going to work there. And the director said, well, do you know anybody else I could call? And, you know, that would be good for this job. And, and Dave, you know, recommended me. So I get this phone call in the dark room one day from Henry Gill, who was the photo director at the Sun-Times. And like, I, you know, I had no idea this was coming. And he just like, we want you to come to Chicago and interview. And I'm like, what? I'm trying to make the deadline, man. You call me at a bad time. I'm, put, I'm putting this print in Fixer right now, man. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think I, I, think I said, look, I'll, I'll call you back in an hour or something like that. And yeah. uh, uh, so that's how that all happened. I mean, um, and so I went to work in Chicago and that was great. I mean, cause you know, I went from a 6,000 circulation daily newspaper to a 600,000 wow. circulation uh, newspaper. I went from being the only staff photographer to, you know, a staff of, I don't know, we had 20 photographers maybe. Holy cow. And John White was there, Richard Dirk, Perry Riddle, um, you know, Al Saib. I mean, there were, it was, a, it was a great staff and, it was, uh, I, I, I loved it. And I figured this is, this is it, man. I, this is where I want to be. Uh, I thought I'd be there for a long time. What, what was kind of, the, that's one thing I was kind of curious about, like what, being that there's like 20 photographers, what was kind of the culture? Like, was it a competitive environment? Um, did you kind of view yourself as a competitive photographer? Obviously everyone wants to like get their photos on the front page and things like that. But what do you remember about this? Like, I guess the, the culture of like, yeah, it was competitive, it, it, but it, there was a camaraderie, um, uh, you know, I you know, when I was there, John White won the Pulitzer and, you know, we were all drinking champagne and, you know, it was such a great, everybody was so proud of John because he worked so hard and, uh, um, but, you know, sure, you wanted, you wanted to be, you wanted to get the best assignment when there was a big assignment, you wanted to be involved in, in, in the big assignment and, um, so there was, you know, competition in that kind of that kind of sense, and you know, and having the 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 Tribune, you know, literally across the street, with you know twice the number of photographers. Wow. Uh, much bigger circulation, so it's sort of like you know David and Goliath. So we always like felt we were competing against them. Yeah. Um, in in in, in a big way. 
And um, so there, there was, there was that sense of, uh, that sense of competition. Um, yeah, so. And what kind of stuff were you like uh, photographing at the newspaper? Was this kind of all over the board or was, were you always kind of photographing politics or what do you kind of remember about some of those like early days of working at the, the Sun-Times, I guess? Yeah, at the Sun-Times, pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, news, sports, features. Um, the, I went to a lot of Cubs games. Um, I seems like in terms of sports, I covered, I covered, uh, I covered, uh, the Cubs more than, more than anything. I, as I recall, although I did go to White Sox spring training one year and, um, and I think I, I covered a lot of the bears games. Did you enjoy um, shooting sports? What's that? Did you enjoy shooting sports? Yeah, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed shooting sports for sure. Um, you know, at the time, uh, you know, the, the, the I was in, I was there at a bad time in terms of Chicago sports. I don't think any of the teams are really that good. <laughs> Certainly, the Bulls were not that good because you know they didn't have Michael Jordan yet. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed sports and you know features news, pretty much right across the the gamut. Yeah, I really enjoyed. There's a series of photos on your website from Wrigley Field, and uh, it's not even the action. It's a lot of these details. This the experience. Like, there's an amazing photo of there's this girl like in the bleachers, and they're like spraying water on her, and this uh, re- really amazing photos. Like, how do you kind of approach like photographing when you're trying to tell a story? Like, do you kind of go in with a plan when you get an assignment of like how you want to execute it? Or do you kind of just let the day unfold? Or how do you kind of approach assignment work, I guess? I mean, I think every situation is different. I mean, the Wrigley Field series was actually made, was actually photographs I did, you know, many years later when I, when I was working for the Chicago Tribune. But I was based in D.C. and they knew I had a love of baseball. I'm going to do a book on Wrigley Field. Um, why don't you why don't you come to Chicago for like the you know I think I was there for six weeks basically rented an apartment and just went to every game I didn't cover the game I just like looked for like cool pictures so so it was it was they you know they gave me free reign um, to do the kind of pictures I wanted to do and some somebody else was you know covering the each game but so I didn't have to do that which was you know, great. Matter of fact, I shot all that on color slide film, that project. And um, the last, this, this would have been in 2001, the last game that I, that I photographed was on September 10th. And I had a flight out the next morning or the next afternoon. Um, And I remember getting a call at the hotel from the photo editor um, saying, instead of flying to, to home to DC where I lived, we want you to get on a plane and go to New York. And I go, why? Like I hadn't, this was like maybe a half hour after the planes had hit the towers. Yeah. And I, and I had slept late that morning. So I had no idea what the heck he was talking about. Got it. So they sent you to New York to kind of document the... Well, of course, you know, all flights were canceled. So I ended up renting a car. And as I'm driving, 
um, they're trying to make a decision. Should I go to New York or go to DC? And like, I said, I finally got to the point, I think I was on the Ohio turnpike where I called them and I go, you got to tell me, you know, which, which, which exit am I taking? Like, am I, am I going, you know, more North to New York or am I going to DC? And I ended up going to DC for, I think, uh, a week, not, maybe not even a week. Um, and, uh, photographed, you know, the, ap the aftermath at the Pentagon and, um, uh, Bush at the white house. And, um, but, but then I ended up going to New York for, I don't know, two or three weeks, something like that. Yeah. I was not there for the, you know, for the main part. Um, by the, by the time I got up to New, New York, I mean, access to ground zero was, kind of closed off yep. and want to see there pete oh there you go sorry i froze there for a second um and was politics something you were always interested in and like how did you kind of start uh photographing politics i guess i know you ended up working for the reagan administration like was photographing politics and covering that world something was a goal of yours or how did you kind of get into that i guess yeah no I, I i wouldn't say it was a goal i mean i i it's funny. I was not really overtly political, but I, but I sort of liked, you know, the, the whole um, process of, of covering politics. I mean, I remember when I was, even when I was at the Kansas state collegian and photographing the student council uh, meetings that, you know, were kind of boring and stuff, but trying to make interesting pictures. As a matter of fact, the student body president was, was a guy named Sam Brownback who later, became a U.S. Senator and, and governor of Kansas. Um, and, um, and then when I went to uh, 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 Chicago, the Sun-Times, um, you know, obviously politics was really important in that city. So I covered a lot of politics. It wasn't like my beat or it wasn't like the one thing I always wanted to do, but there were, you know, there were some interesting characters. Jane Byrne was the mayor at the time. I was there when Harold Washington ran for mayor and you know the city council was just it was there was so much color at the city council meetings um i covered uh, adlai stevenson when he uh, the third when he ran for governor and lost um so i did you know i covered a fair amount of politics but it wasn't like this is what i want to do cover yeah. politics it was sort of like one of the many things I many, many subjects I, I was covering in addition to sports and news and features and, mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, the, the, the Reagan white house was just something, another out of the blue phone call from the white house photo editor, somebody that I knew professionally. And, you know, she just called me up one day and said, Hey, we want you to apply for this job. Michael Evans, Reagan's chief photographer is looking for somebody to work with him. And, um, I suggested you and, you know, and I was like, I, I was doing so great in Chicago. I told her I'm not really interested. Wow. And I went home that night and I was like, you know, I mean, what, why am I like not, you know, considering this? Like who, what does it matter wh whether I like Reagan or not? Imagine being on the inside of a, you know, of a white house. And I figured I'm never going to get this opportunity again. So, you know, I called her back and I said, okay, I'll, I'll come and interview. And, you know, they ended up hiring me and I spent the, the last, five, I guess it was five and a half years of, 
of the Reagan administration, um, you know, photographing uh, the, the presidency uh, from the inside. Now, you know, my, my access was a little different. I mean, my, Michael was only there for the first term and then the second term, there wasn't really a chief photographer. There was sort of a rotation basis amongst the other official White House photographers. But, you know, I tried to push for as much access as I could. And, um, you know, and I think there's not on a, on a daily basis, but I, but I think that I did a, a pretty good job giving, given the, you know, hurdles, I guess, if you will, in terms of access to, to make some, um, you know, revealing behind the scenes photographs. How was your relationship with Reagan? Was he kind of uh, open to being photographed? Is you feel like it's something? He I mean, yes, yeah, yeah. I don't think that. Um, I don't think that there was ever a time where he like didn't want me there. It was more the staff trying to be the gatekeeper, right? To you know, these secret classified type meetings and. Um, so it, it wasn't it wasn't him necessarily because wouldn't, wouldn't they like set up like shots like the, like the communications department would like set up shots and bringing lighting to kind of like fake scenarios sometimes pretty much not for me i mean it was more the, the, that was their approach with you have to you have to go back to the 80s when there had been this sort of transformation where the news magazines went from black and white to color, right? And nobody was using color negative film. It was color slide film, which, you know, is an unforgiving film uh, with, you know, really you couldn't go above ISO 100 yeah. and, get, and get a good, a good uh, picture uh, quality wise. And, um, and so usually what would happen is if time or Newsweek needed a picture for the week, you know, for, for the st story they were doing, the, the white, the photographer for that magazine would get 15 minutes, yeah. right? You'd get a 15 minute window to photograph the president. And so that's where the sort of lights came in where things were lit up and it was kind of like set up, Mr. President, can you do this? Can you do that? And can you be reading papers? Um, you know, unfortunately for me as a White House photographer, I wasn't necessarily, there are a few times where I had to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, not, I, but really not with lights. It was, I mean, there's, there's a, a scene in, in this, uh, documentary film that's coming out where, um, I'm orchestrating a photograph of the Reagans at the ranch, for instance, you know, and it's intended uh, to just show him, you know, at the ranch while he was on his summer vacation. Um, so there were, you know, those occasions. But for the most part, I was able to just um, make candid pictures of what was happening. It's just that my access wasn't as great as it as it was in the, you know, the no next problem. time I was at the Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and that's an interesting point I was kind of interested in talking to you about. When you're working as the White House photographer and you're covering, like, the president, do you, do you still like view yourself as like a photojournalist the same way you, you would as working for a newspaper or is there different roles with each? Um, like how do you kind of view this the job and the way you approach it, I guess? Um, 
Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. And I know that people um, object to referring to me sometimes as a, as a photojournalist being the official White House photographer. But I mean, it's not, well, there are two things. One, it's not like I like suddenly when I walk into the White House, make pictures any differently. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, 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 you know, I, you, you, you're a photographer and, um, and, and you, you make pictures the way you make pictures. It doesn't really matter whether you're working for a newspaper or you're, you know, you're inside the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, there, there's also, in terms of documenting for history, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, let's say, boring meetings that take place that, um, you know, and, and people come in and they, they sit in the same chair or sit on the sofa in the same exact place that they did the day before and the day before and the day before. Um, they're just talking about different things. And so as the official White House photographer, even though this situation is pretty damn boring, you still have to document it in such a way that you, you know, you, you, you want to have at least some pictures that show who's actually in the room during this meeting, right? Mm-hmm. That's important for history context. Um, and so I think there was, there, there was a certain amount of not forgetting that, not forgetting, um, you know, who, who's in the room and making sure that that's incorporated into your photography. Whereas if you were, you know, working for a newspaper in that situation, you're just going to go zoom right to the, the, the main part of the picture. Mm-hmm. Like if, if it's just a close up of the president or, um, you know, it's, there's, there's like maybe there, maybe the secretary, secretary of state is in that meeting and he's under fire for something as the newspaper photographer, you're going to like zero in on that. So, so it's, you're thinking longer term. I think is probably the main, the main difference in terms of uh, the, the sort of the way I approached it. Yeah. And is there like anything you feel like you learned from your experience working in like the Reagan administration that you applied to um, your job with the, the Obama administration? Um, I think it, it, it was that coming in, I had to like establish my access right away. And it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, President Obama, I mean, I had known him for four years and we had a professional relationship. Um, he understood the value of having somebody visually document his presidency um, and, you know, sort of gave me carte blanche. But at the same time, um, there, were, there were two, I wouldn't call them obstacles, but two things that you know, I was very aware of having been in the Reagan administration. One, um, it's one thing to say, yeah, you can have access to to everything, but but put yourself in his shoes. Imagine having, you know, some guy following you around every day, all day, snapping photos. Like that takes a little getting used to. Yeah. So I wanted to like approach that in a, in a way that it, it wouldn't annoy him and he would become comfortable with it and he would understand why I needed to always be there. So that was, that was one thing I was very aware of. Two, it was 
I was going to hold my ground against the staff, like against anybody who was, you know, trying to thwart me from uh, having access to any kind of meeting or situation. Is that something you um, fought you fought with a lot early on, or did it kind of take a while? To... I don't know. I don't know that I fought that much. I mean, there was you know, there's one particular uh, person who like there was like a situation room meeting when uh, you know highly classified where he was like, you can't be in here, mm. you can't be in, in this meeting, and I go, well, why not? He goes, you don't have you you don't have the right security clearance. And I was like, okay, that's a legitimate response. So how did I handle that? I went to the chief of staff of the National Security Council and I said, here's the kind of access level I need. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and I uh, did all the paperwork. I got the interview and, you know, and I, and I got the, the highest security clearance I could get so that I could be in all those meetings. So mm -hmm. it was, you know, things like that. that and those are things that like, I think if I had, you know, in the Reagan administration, I wouldn't have had the confidence to like say, uh, no, I, I can be in this meeting. And, and if you say I can't, I'll find a way to make sure that I am. Yeah. You know? and, and do you feel like being that you, you had already been working as a working photojournalist for like decades at this point? Because I believe like by the time you start with Obama, you're probably what, in your 50s or so. Um, do you feel like if you're in that same position as like a young 20 year old photographer, you, you feel like you got like a little more respect this from this point in life you were at and being like, even that you're a little older than Obama, this did you feel like he gave you a different respect, I guess. I don't know. Well, I was, I was definitely, you know, more confident and, um, and you know, and I, <laughs> I can be pretty stubborn in, in my, uh, you know, I think as you get older, like, no, this is the way it's going to be, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and I think, you know, you know, and I think that President Obama was, um, uh, what, what was basically my, my support. Like he had my back. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and he, he, he understood the value and it didn't, it didn't bother him that I was there. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so that makes, makes a huge difference. I mean, you know, one of the, um, one of the things that I, hopefully I can help contribute to with the next administration is that whoever becomes the next, you know, white house photographer that I can, um, uh, make sure they understand um, why, why they need to have that access. And I know enough of the, the Biden people that I'm probably going to like initiate some phone calls um, yeah. after the election and say, Hey, you know, you got to have somebody that you trust and that you're going to, that you're going to let them document this presidency for history. Yeah. Very, you know, very important. Access is just so, so important. Yeah. Be a first woman, uh, vice president a monumental time in history so yeah definitely important to document all those moments for sure um and the thing i actually i read an article that was on sportshooter.net in 2008 that you wrote and it was interesting 
when you first started photographing Obama, you photographed him from day one in the Senate. And I found it interesting. You said early on this, like in the first few days, you had in the back of your mind that this guy might be president. And you said, I believe that you were, uh, you were documenting him in that way. Like in, in your mind, you're like, this guy might be a president. So you're approaching it that way. Like, like, what do you remember about those like early days and what do you kind of mean about like this approaching it like that? Way? Yeah, I, I did say that. And, and I, and I, and that was my outlook. And like, I, <laughs> um, you wouldn't be asking me this if he didn't become president. Yeah. So, you know, sort of like, I was joking to my, I was joking to, to uh, some of my friends yesterday. Cause like, I always make these political predictions and I've never been right. <laughs> but I gotta say that I got the, the Biden Kamala, ticket right okay. i've been saying that for a year you know <laughs> even when biden was sinking in the polls yeah i was still saying that was going to be the ticket yeah um so um yeah i did i did say that about senator obama and um you know and i was thinking like the, 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 the i've got this picture like on his i don't know if it was his first day it was his first the first week in the senate where he got like this the first office he got was a temporary office in the basement of no a windows Burton building. And, yeah. you know, and he's got no windows, he's got these fluorescent lights, computer wires on the floor. And, and I was, th as I made that picture, I was like, this will be a great contrast if he ever makes it to the resolute desk in the, in the oval office, you know, that's, <laughs> I was, you know, thinking that. And then, you know, there was another time when in 2004, uh, later that year in 2005, I went on a congressional delegation trip with him and Senator Richard Luger to uh, uh, Russia and a couple other countries. And, um, at, you know, at one point he, uh, he, he went for a tour in, in Red Square, you know, with the Kremlin right out mm -hmm. uh, in the background and St. Basil's Cathedral. And, um, you know, was walking around and like nobody knew who he was or recognized him. And I was so conscious of trying to make a picture that just showed him in that scene with like nobody even paying attention to him. Yeah. Because I knew if he ever did become president, you know, that scene would, would take on a different outlook. It would, and it would never happen again. Yeah. Totally. And I believe you, in 2006, you even traveled to Kenya and you guys went and visited the village where Barack Obama's father was born. Uh, I was kind of curious, what, what was that trip all about and what do you kind of remember about it? Because that seems like a pretty powerful moment for him, just going back to where, where his father was born. Yeah, so it, it, not, it was, it, yeah, it was his, his, his grandmother, his grandmother's village. Yeah. Not sure if his father was born there. I, I, I can't remember, but yeah. um, yeah, that was, you know, there was, there was a lot of attention, even by then in, in Kenya, there was a lot of excitement about him being, you know, a U.S. Senator. So that was that there were like thousands of people out for, for that trip and kind of like everywhere he went there's he did like a public AIDS test, in a field and a mobile clinic at a field and they're like people in the trees, you know, trying to get a glimpse of him. And then at his mother's village, you know, it was supposed to be kind of like this little private visit and there are like hundreds of people. It was very chaotic. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, it was, it was kind of an, it, that was an interesting trip for sure. Yeah, you ended up publishing a book, the, the rise of Barack Obama, which I believe was just all photos of his time in the Senate and pretty interesting. You had, you had a hard time getting that book published. It sounded like, cause you, cause you were working at the, well, I had, yeah, I'd, I was working for the Chicago Tribune. Um, when I, when I made most of the, most of those pictures, and then I left the Tribune and in the, in the middle of the 2007. So just, just right at three months after he started his presidential campaign, I left the Tribune and I, and I went to teach at Ohio University. And um, the, the, you know, the Tribune didn't, didn't want to let me publish a book. And I, I finally wrote to the editor and I go, this is unfair. I go, you let writers who have done stories um, for the newspaper, you let them do a, do a book based on the reporting that they did that they, when they worked for the newspaper, you can't, it can't be, you can't be different for a photographer. That's just not fair. And there was a lot of back and forth and the, 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 <laughs> The real sticking point was they, they were afraid of opening a can of worms. And, and, and I go, what do you mean? They go, well, you know, if, if we let you do a book, then other photographers want to do a book. I said, yeah, but if, if somebody's publishing a book about um, any subject, Senator, let's say it's Senator Obama, you would then license images that I had shot, right? And they go, well, yeah. I go, well, what if I license my own images? Yeah. And they were like, the bell went off. It was like, th that would cover them. And so <clears throat> I paid a license fee to them. Wow, you had to pay for your to own use my own pictures <laughs> in, in, in a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's interesting. And, and you said you were teaching at Ohio University. Um, like at that point, uh, did you think your days of like working as like a, like a working shooting photographer were done? Like, what do you think you're going to do at that point? Just be teaching or what was kind of your mindset? Well, I mean, I, part of it was, you know, I was sort of, uh, you know, in my early fifties then, I guess, or just turned 50. Yep. And, um, no, I was in my early fifties and I was, I had become disillusioned with the Tribune. Um, you know, they had been bought by a real estate magnet and it, it just didn't seem like the place I wanted to be anymore. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I just thought that I was too, you know, old <laughs> to, uh, to, to get another newspaper job. And I had done, I had freelance for nine years and it, it was, that I, you know, I was just not good at freelancing. It, it was, there were so many ups and downs that mm -hmm. I just didn't want to do that. Um, and, you know, so that that's why I took the te teaching job at Ohio university and I figured, okay, you know, I can do this. And then in the summer, I'll try to do a project every summer. Um, but you know, I wasn't going to be doing daily shooting yeah. now. Um, but throughout the time I was at OU, if, if, if uh, Senator Obama was on, on the campaign trail, was in Ohio or nearby, I would, I would um, make arrangements and, and go photograph the event. And I went to the convention in 2008 on my own. 
And then I went to the Grant Park election night. I flew up from Ohio and, you know, just things I did on my own to, mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, continue my coverage of him. And, and, you know, unfortunately I knew, I still knew a lot of the people on the campaign and they always gave me the right credential to, you know, be where I needed to be. I didn't have behind the scenes access, but I had, yep. I had pretty good access in terms of the press photographer, news photographers. Um, and then, um, you know, I remember after the election, I sort of waited maybe a week and, um, you know, and I figured that, um, Callie Shell had become, um, had been like assigned for Time Magazine to cover the campaign. So she had been on the campaign for a year. And so I figured that, you know, he was going to either hire her or, or you know, or, or me. And uh, I remember I sent, <laughs> about a week after the election, I sent Robert Gibbs an email um, and all it said was, <laughs> I don't even think there was, I think it was just in the subject line. I, I, I wish I had a copy of that email. Maybe I do somewhere. I don't know. But I, but I sent an email to Gibbs and it just said, I'm interested. That's that it. was it. Uh, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, one thing led to another and then, uh, you know, they called and offered me the job. And once you got the job, like, did you kind of like think about how the, how you wanted to approach documenting his administration? Um, did you go back and look at a lot of the work of previous White House photographers or how did you kind of just approach your overall uh, photographing him, I guess? No, I purposely didn't want to go back and look at other yep. um, White House photographers because I wanted to have a fresh eye, mm-hmm. but I was very familiar with other White House photographers. So, I mean, for me, it was, you know, the, 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 the person that I always looked up to as the, the best official White House photographer in history is Yoshi Okamoto, who was yep. LBJ's photographer. Um, you know, he had total access to, to LBJ. And, you know, and it, I mean, LBJ was a completely different character, a very crude individual in many ways. Um, but it was sort of that approach yeah. uh, that where you're just always there, you're always making pictures, you're documenting everything. That was that was what was in the back of my mind. I actually yeah. read an article. I, I was reading like I was researching uh, Yoshi because I know you have a lot of respect for him, and uh, I'm not sure if it's true. I read it. He actually got fired at one point in the administration briefly, and then LBJ hired him back because I guess there was like a Newsweek article about Yoshi, and it was talking about how much film he shot. I guess LBJ didn't like them. He, he thought it was wasteful for how much negatives he was shooting or something that I read. I don't know if it's 100% true, but. Yeah, no, I think, I think there's some truth to that. I know his son, uh, uh, who I've communicated with a little bit, now, mm-hmm. is working on a book about his dad. So, because there's, there's still a lot of, um, t- you know, to me, a lot of unknown. I mean, you know, the one thing about being the official White House photographer then is you know there was no social media or internet and so um people were weren't familiar necessarily with him as an individual um and you know and it's you know there's that he's 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 one of the few official white house photographers that you know never did a book i mean Mm -hmm. most of us have done have done a like a photo book, yeah. Um, 
you know, after we, after we left the job and o- Okamoto never did. Yeah. And so I'm not sure if his son's book is a photo book or, or, or what, but it, you know, it, his, his pictures are so amazing mm-hmm. and his access was so good yeah. that I hope, I hope it's a photo book. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, one thing I was kind of interested in talking to you about is uh, looking at the book there, there's a lot of these moments you're photographing Obama in these intense situations. Like, one a couple that stick out in my mind is you you photographed he went to Walter Reed Hospital and photographed this uh, soldier Corey uh, Remsburg, I believe is was his name, and like how do you kind of deal with those situations where this guy he's obviously been wounded very badly it's a tense situation um, uh, how do you kind of approach photographing those situations like. Do you kind of get in, get out quick? And how do you kind of just deal with this, the, the intensity and emotion like in those situations, I guess? Well, I mean, the, a, a, lot, a lot of those situations, like he went every, President Obama went every three months, I think it was every three months, maybe it was every four months to Walter yeah. Reed. Um, and, you know, especially in 2009, 2010, um, there, there were a lot of, lot of badly wounded um, uh, military personnel, you know, wounded in, in Iraq or Afghanistan. And it was hard to, hard to see. I mean, hard to see, you know, guys missing legs and limbs. And, um, it, it, it was, you know, kids in their twenties yep. with, uh, you know, and oftentimes with a, um, with a new family and, you know, and just the, the, the sacrifice, yeah was some some of them were really hard to hard to be in there for um the and the, and the way it would work is he would he would walk in the room and it would be essentially me uh one secret service agent and then uh someone uh either his military aide or or uh, a, a civilian that was the liaison to uh, uh the military mm-hmm um and so it's, it's very you know sort of uh intimate situation and, and and as i said it was it was oftentimes hard to to see these kids in this condition and you know it really um brought home the the cost of war um you know that that yeah it's ter- that there's people die but people also get really badly injured mm. and that's with them for the rest of their life you know yeah like and, you know, so you're thinking about that i mean the thing that struck me about Corey was you know he had this really traumatic brain injury he was hit by an ied the guy that was walking alongside him was killed instantly and Corey had been thrown into a ravine face down almost drowned in the water his brain had been pretty much you know, was wide open and, you know, it's lucky that he lived. Um, and, but what really struck me is it, we're in this hospital and it turns out that president Obama had met Corey. I think it was like six months before, seven months before at, at D-Day in Normandy. Uh, Corey had been one of the army rangers that had parachuted in, you know, ceremonially and had met, with President Obama, and I had a picture of that 
of that, uh, that greeting. Um, and, you know, we had sent, as we often did, we had sent prints to the family um, from that um, greed and, and um, Normandy. And the pictures, I think there were three pictures we had sent and they were, they were taped to the hospital room wall. And I'm like, you know, it sort of like took me aback. So here's this young strapping army ranger yeah. several months before. And, it, and my picture of him is on the wall. And then here's Corey in bed, you know, just a shell of himself. And I was like, it really, really showed the, the starkness of the cost of war in such a visceral way. And I, you know, I was shook up by it. And I think President Obama was too. Yeah, and like another photo that really stuck out in your book for me was after the Sandy Hook tragedy. Um, there's a photograph of Obama consoling the Wheeler family who had just lost their son, Ben. And I guess like, I, I, can't, I, I can't imagine that situation at all, but like trying to photograph in that situation because obviously at the end of the day, you're a human being, human being like anyone else. And that was just such a horrible event. Like, how do you kind of like compartmentalize that situation to with everything going on and like still being able to do your job and document such a, like a terrible day for those, that family and with Obama, I guess. Well, I mean, this was, this, uh, this was the work. I mean, I had to do this too many times. I have to say, yep. you know, between mass shootings and natural disasters, uh, this, this was something that he did. I mean, I have to, you know, on, on a, on a, certainly on a yearly basis where something would always happen that he would have to console families, but this was the worst one, you know, I think because it was because 20 of the 26 people that were killed were first graders, six or seven year old kids, you know, like who, who, who does that? And this is two days after the, the uh, uh, shootings and, you, you, I mean, you can just imagine that, that these families were still pretty much in shock. And, um, uh, and you know, and he spent time with each, each family. Um, I'm not sure every family uh, was there, but I think most of them were. Um, this, the, he was going to then attend a, like a, a public uh, memorial service, but first he met with all the families individually. And, you know, and it was tough. I mean, I, um, I have a job to do. Yep. Um, I, I don't want to make it uncomfortable for the people that he's meeting. Yeah. And so I was very selective in, in my, um, and, and photographing, I didn't want to be a nuisance and, um, but, you know, wanted to try to capture this emotion. We didn't make, <clears throat> we didn't make any of the pictures public, um, but, but we sent copies to uh, the families. Yeah. And the, when, when I was doing my book, um, you know, this would have been what, five, five years later, I was doing the book. I was like, God, I, I really should try to include at least, you know, one of these photographs of him consoling family so that people can see, yeah. you know, this, that this is part of the job. And um, 
I went through my Newtown pictures and I found the, the, this picture of the Wheelers and I thought this, this sort of symbolized, you know, all the other families that he had met with in a very visceral way. It was an emotional photo. And um, so I, uh, um, I drove up to Newtown and uh, spent an afternoon with the Wheelers um, and showed them what my book was going to look like. I think I had a, a dummy of it and, you know, and I asked their permission to use the, the photograph because I wasn't going to use it if, if, if they objected. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they, they, uh, they said they, you know, that they would be honored. I mean, it's, you know, it's still, they still talk about um, their life as, you know, before and after, you know, before, December, was it 12th or 14th, 2012, and, and after. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure all the families, you know, feel the same way. Yeah, no, it was very uh, intense, but uh, important picture for people to see, I think. And um, I know I got to wrap up here. Uh, I, I guess, like, looking at your time with Barack Obama, the eight years you spent with them, like, what do you feel you learned most from like spending so much time with a person like that? Like looking back at everything, you guys traveled the world, you documented all these crazy moments. Like what, what do you feel like you learned from him? I guess. Um, I learned a lot from him. Um, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a decent human being. Um, he, you know, I think the, the presidency doesn't change who you are as a person. I think, I think the presidency reveals who you are as a person. And certainly, um, I think that, um, I, I, I was able to, through my photography show, reveal who he is mm-hmm. as a person, you know, he's compassionate, empathetic, um, thinks things through, um, maintains a, you know, fairly even keeled disposition, is able to, to juggle a lot of balls at the same time, um, works hard, knows that the words that come out of his, that come comes out of the mouth of the president really do matter. Um, knows that, you know, it's, it's about us, not him. Um, and, you know, not to say that he's, he's a, a perfect person. None of us are, none of us are perfect. He's yeah. flawed like everybody else. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think he went about the job in the way that, um, that you know that future presidents should in terms of um you know listening to various viewpoints um uh knowing that facts are <laughs> facts are important science is important yeah um and that um not to forget um, that you're, you know, you're also, um, not just president, but that you're, 
a husband and a, and a father, and um, you need to you need to maintain that part of your life in a in a, in a present way. Um, and you know, in 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 a lot of ways, it's it's easier for a president to um, have that kind of a family life because, you know, you kind of live above the store, if you will. And, um, you know, when he was a state senator or even when he was U.S. senator, he was separated from his family every week, you know, for three or four days where, you know, he'd be in Washington and the family would be in Chicago and he'd see him on the weekend. Whereas, you know, working at the White House, you have dinner, for the most part, you have dinner with your family every night, unless you're, um, you know, traveling. Yeah. Um, so no, I mean, he's just, he's just a, uh, um, he, he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, uh, just a decent human being. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm lucky that I got to, got to know him and photograph him and, um, still, remain in contact with him. Um, and, um, you know, I think <laughs> in, in, in many ways I'll probably, you know, be linked with him for the, for the rest of my life. Definitely. And when your job was the last day, it was finally over. Did it take you a while to just kind of readjust to like quote unquote, like regular life where you spent eight years every day? I think I read for the first five years, you didn't even take a vacation day. Uh, did it kind of, once it was kind of over, did it take you a while to just kind of readjust to your new life, I guess? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to explain unless you've, you know, been through it, but you know, the way I approached the job, I was, it, it was 24 seven, 365 days a year for eight years. So I was like completely worn out. Yeah. Um, both physically and, and mentally, you know, I did, I had completely put my personal life on the back burner. Um, and, and not that people should feel sorry for me because I, you know, I did it for, to myself. I mean, I had staff that I could have called on. Yeah to fill in. But, uh, you know, my, my approach was I didn't want to miss anything. I always wanted to be there because you don't know when history is going to happen. You don't know when images are going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I, so I did this to myself. So don't feel sorry for me. Yeah, you wanted to be there. Um, but I was, so I was worn out. And, and so there was, there was, it was an odd feeling. It was sort of like, um, I remember having a countdown, countdown clock on my iPhone for just like, you know, ready, ready to be done. Yeah. But, but at the same time, you know, once the election occurred in 2016, it was, it, it, it took on a different feeling because mm-hmm. I was like, well, this new guy can't do the job. Hell no. He's not capable. No. And so it was relief on one hand and, but but there was a bigger sense of trepidation of you know what oh my god what's going to happen to the country yeah and and in a in a in a much more different way 
than, you know, if, if, if Hillary had, had gotten elected. You know, one of my great regrets is the night before the election, we did, a, we did a, an event with uh, Hillary Clinton in Philadelphia. And her photographer, Barb Kinney, was, was there. And, you know, I, I, God, I'd known Barb for probably 30 years, maybe longer. Wow. And so I remember I said to her that night, um, I said, Barb, get some sleep for the next week. And then, you know, and then I'll call you and we'll, we'll talk about, you know, the transition, cool, you know, and it's sort of like, God, that's like, what an awful thing for me to have said, you know, given the way it that's turned out. But I mean, I think everybody was thinking that, you yeah. know, she was the next president. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I guess I'll wrap it up with this. I know you have a documentary coming out, I believe in September. Um, it's called The Way I See It. I was kind of curious, uh, what's that all about? Like, how did how'd the project come about? And like, what was kind of your involvement with the whole film, I guess? Yeah, so um, let me talk about this in terms of like, what the, your the photo audience would be interested in, because um, I'm sort of on a embargo. Oh, you <laughs> can't talk about, about it? <laughs> no worries. So what, what I'll say is that, because I, I, I've read when the trailer came out, there was on one of the photo blogs, there was sort of like some bizarre comments about, you know, me. Yeah, because um, I wasn't sure if it was like a documentary about your life or just your career, but it sounds yeah. like it's something different. So first of all, it, it <laughs> I didn't make the film. Right. It's like, it's not, I didn't make a film about myself. No, no, no. This is a group of filmmakers who came to me and said, we want to do this film about, you know, how you've gone from being a White House photographer to this sort of vocal critic. Yep. Um, Shade you know, thrower. Yeah. And um, so, you know, after thinking about it, I was like, okay. So I cooperated with the film. Um, they do go into, you know, sort of how I got started, some of the things we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, they, 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 found, they found some really fun video of me during the Reagan years, which is like some of which I had not seen. <laughs> um, and so that was like pretty funny to watch in some ways. Um, and yeah, and, and, you know, and my, my, my participation was, I did, you know, some interviews, they followed me around mm -hmm. a little bit and I didn't, you know, I didn't have editorial control over the film. Um, but I, I was like, you know, making sure that we were getting the best pictures, the still pictures. Um, you know, there's certain pictures I wanted to make sure were in the film and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult time to put out a film just given, you know, COVID. And, Can't go to theaters. Um, and so they're trying to figure out the, the distribution of it, to be honest with you, right, as we speak. Yeah. I don't even know what, I mean, they say it opens in theaters in September, but, yeah. but you know, obviously there's only, um, I don't know, there's somebody told me there's like 90 drive-in theaters that are open yeah. across the country. Yeah. I think it's um, 
but you know they it, it, they're they're trying to figure out like after that how how does this get how do people see this and you know i don't i don't i don't know yet mm. how that but but people will be able to see it but you, you're happy sure. you were happy with the final product um i haven't seen totally the final product I've okay seen, all I've, right I've, saw, I've seen a rough cut got of it. it all right so well, uh, I guess my last question, we can end at peak because I want to take up your whole day um, with everything you've done, um, working for Barack Obama, a guy who is the uh, consummate optimist, ran on the hope, that was his phrase. Um, is Pete Souza still hopeful for the future with everything going on in the world now, I guess? Well, I mean, I think I have to be, um, you know, I went through Watergate and we had the the 60s although i was just a little kid i i i I was alive when that was a tumultuous time in our history Mm -hmm. and you know we'll we will we will get back we will we will get back to to normal and i think we'll get back to being you know the country that we were um but i think it's going to take some work and it's certainly going to take um uh, people voting to, mm-hmm. to make any changes. If you, you know, it's fine. I, I, I love that people are out in the streets protesting, but as you know, former president Obama says, it's a, it's, it's not an either or it's a both. You've got to, you've got to protest, but you've also got to vote. If you yep. want to make institutional change, you got to vote and not just at the presidential level, but at the local level, we just had, you know, state assembly, election primary election here in in wisconsin this week and um you know and i i actually voted absentee a couple weeks ago um but you know it's at the local level if you if you want to make institutional change um and so i just would encourage everybody um to make sure you're registered to vote make sure you have a plan um i'm actually partnering with headcount um, there's a lot of other organizations out there that, that can help you get registered or figure out a way to do mail-in or absentee. Yep. Um, and, you know, especially during these times of COVID, it's, it's going to be a challenging election, I think. Yep. Um, but you can't just like stay home and, and not do anything. You've got to have a plan to, to get out there and make your voice heard. Awesome. Well, Pete, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It was a real pleasure. And uh, yeah, thanks for all the hard work you've done over the years, documenting Obama and everything else you've done. Uh, I really appreciate it. You bet. All right, and let's hope, the, uh, let's hope the Red Sox can do yeah, yeah. a little <laughs> yeah, better it, than they're doing looking, right now. It's looking rough right now, but hopefully, man. Yeah. All, <laughs> all right. right. Later, yeah, Pete. All right. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Um, if you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to support the podcast, you can go to our new Patreon page at patreon.com slash the photo banter. I'm going to be offering up different features where you can get uh, the podcast episodes two days early, as well as getting promotion for your, your website or social media handles on the podcast. So if you've been enjoying the podcast and would like to support, uh, definitely go check us out on patreon.com slash the photo banter. Your support is much appreciated as I'm just hoping to keep this thing going and keep it growing and get more guests for you guys. And, uh, yeah, so thanks so much if you can support. And also just got to give a big thank you uh, to photographer Pete Souza for taking the time to come on the podcast. 
Um, just an, an incredible photographer who has accomplished so much over the course of his career. His documentation of uh, President Barack Obama's presidency was uh, second to none. Just incredible work that he created and documented. Uh, definitely urge you to go pick up a copy of Pete's book, Obama, an Intimate Portrait. Uh, just kind of documents the eight years of Obama's presidency, uh, this incredible picture. So definitely go uh, check that out, as well as Pete's website, uh, PeteSouza.com, and his Instagram, at PeteSouza. And uh, as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts available on iTunes, Spotify, our new YouTube channel, The Photo Banter. And uh, again, if you like supporting the podcast, you can go check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash the photo banter thanks so much and take care